This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Good. Long time no speak. That's right. That's right. And we're going to talk about the Odyssey of Homer. Yeah, uh, we're going to do this in six different shows. The first uh, show, today's show, will be uh, the first four books of the Odyssey and very by Homer. Cool. Yes. So we're going to yeah talk about the first four books, which um, Odysseus actually doesn't even appear in. Yeah, uh, they mention him. They do mention him. <laughs> it's they sort do of mention about him. him, but it, yeah, it's not quite. He's yeah. he, he, um, he's not in it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, one of the sources I was reading on this, uh, I think it was the introduction to one of the copies I've got, was saying that uh, we start in the middle, right? We start in the middle of the story, mm-hmm. and that's what we're getting here. We're getting a bit of the backstory in these uh, first uh, four chapters, and uh, we're also getting the, the, the seeds planted for the, the end of the story. Okay. And when, when uh, Odysseus returns home. Gotcha. So, um, this is a sequel of sorts to the Iliad, if I understand right. Sort of, And yeah. um, if I understand correctly as well, there are epics that are missing, that they think filled in between the two. Um, uh, yeah. And they've Let, actually got the titles because they have a list of them, but they don't actually have them. Oh, uh, by Homer or? No, I don't know who by. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway. We pretty much know what, know what happens in those uh-huh. uh, missing spaces. So I guess the, uh, yeah, we were, t- before the show, we were, we were talking about the Iliad. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the Odyssey first. Uh, and uh, it didn't it didn't seem to hurt me. I read the Iliad later, um, and I think uh, the Odyssey is a better place to start. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one of the reasons for that is because it's, uh, as one one source said, it's a novel, whereas the Iliad is a tragedy. Hmm. And um, I, I'm a big fan of the character of Odysseus. I think he's a great character. Um, one of the great characters, and obviously this is one of the great stories. Um, but the Iliad is also great, but it's great in a slightly more inaccessible way. Oh, okay. I think. It, it, this it sort of eases you into the world of uh, 3000 AD or what, whatever time period this story is, is set in. Sort of a mysterious time period. Um, a hmm. mythical period. Uh, and also, when you get to the Iliad, you're sort of, I think, you you have been eased in, and it's easier. So, although oh, okay. the order is, um, is the Iliad t- came before the Odyssey, at least in, uh, in chronological or, order, if they're a series, not that mm-hmm. they are a series, but if they're a two-book series, <laughs> it would be the other way around. Gotcha. Yeah, and they're I had an, I had an excellent Greek mythology class in college, and I believe we read the Iliad. And uh, which means I don't think that I have ever read the Odyssey, so this is great. Wow. Yeah, I don't think There's I have. A... Wow, um, I've still got the copy I had from grade eight, I think. Oh, okay. Which is a 
a Penguin Classics hardback, uh, pocket-sized. Oh. Don't see many of those, the pocket-sized hardback. <clears throat> oh, how about that? Yeah. The one that I'm reading is uh, the Odyssey translated by Robert Fagels. Oh, also, yeah. Also, okay. it's a Penguin edition. I don't know if that's the same one you've got, but that's what I'm using. No, um, I, I actually am listening to that audiobook version, though. Uh, Robert Fagel's uh, reading. Oh. Uh, sorry, he doesn't read it. It's Robert Fagel's translation, read by Ian McKellen. Ooh, and nice. That's a very, very nice read. Yes, uh, indeed. <laughs> but I, I actually prefer um, this translation, which is by, uh, it's going to be hard to say his name, E.V. Ryu, uh, copyright 1946. Um it's they're virtually identical line by line you can tell what you know what's going on but just some word choices and such mm. uh it's uh it's super readable that's that's what the author uh, the translator was going for okay and um, so let me ask you this what struck you in these first four chapters if this is your first read what struck me um first four books not chapters yeah they're, they're for first four books they uh well, I don't know. I, I was struck by how interesting it was, you mm-hmm. know, and I guess that shouldn't be a surprise in any way. I mean, but, the, you know, when I read this kind of thing, it's so old and I can't get that, I can't get that out of my head that, wow, you know, I'm reading this stuff and it's really, really old and I enjoy that aspect of it. But again, like, you know, the first time I read, um, what was it called? The Apology? Mm-hmm. Socrates apology. Mm-hmm. Socrates didn't write it, but um, no, he, he didn't write anything. He didn't write it because he died at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember the first time that I read that, thinking, you know, we're dealing with the same stuff right now, and uh, so I guess I have a, a some surprise in my head about how accessible it is, and um, how interesting it is, even though it's you know from so long ago. So that's the first thing that struck me. And then um, just the story of Telemachus and how all these suitors are trying to get his mom to commit to marry them and stuff. And um, I had a really nice explanation of this from the uh, teaching company course. I listened to the first two lectures, mm-hmm. which covered the first two books or the first four books. Because, like you said, the first four books are kind of a self contained. Um, because Telemachus is the main character, they call it the Telemachy. Mm-hmm. And um, it's definitely a self-contained sort of introduction to the Odyssey. Yeah. And um, the instructor there, the professor uh, Elizabeth Vandiver, is her name. Mm-hmm. And the course is called The Odyssey of Homer. And she spent an entire half hour talking about the concept of Xenia. Have you heard of that? Uh, spell it for me. Uh, X-E-N-I-A. Well, um, that would probably be strangeness and, and, and hospitality. Is that yeah, what you're going exactly. for? Yeah, exactly. She said, okay. she said that um, the, the word xenos means guest, host, stranger, foreigner, and friend. Right. And it, it, it always causes a problem for the translator because the concept of xenia is something that doesn't really have a word in English. Because she called it the guest-host relationship, but she said it's, it's a much more complicated thing than that. It's like if you are um, in this world here, you're, you're walking along, 
And because there's no hotels or anything, the kind of system that they used is you could show up at somebody's house and say, you know, feed me. And you're supposed to show up at a house that's kind of at the same social structure or the the social level that you're at. So if you're the king, you show up at the palace. Right. If you're a poor man, you find a hut. And um, the person is expected to um, give you hospitality. And so you start... You know, so how can one word mean all those things? Well, you know, you start as a guest and then, you know, you are a stranger and you become a friend and um, you're also a foreigner and then you're expected to pay it forward, meaning yeah. you, you don't expect that the guy whose house you stayed at is someday going to show up at your house, but you're expected that whoever shows up at your house, you're going to give them the same hospitality. Yeah. And yeah, she said, it, she said that the, the entire four books of the Telemachy are a complete exploration of the concept of Xenia because uh, Telemachus experiences it from all sides, good and bad. Yeah, he is himself a guest, mm-hmm. as well as he has some guests. Right. And he has some that are good, like uh, Mentes, who is really Athena, mm-hmm. and and some who are terrible. <laughs> the right, house guests right. who won't leave, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and she also said when Paris abducted Helen, that that was a, the, the ultimate violation of Xenia. Because, yeah, he violated all kinds of rules. <laughs> Not supposed to run off with the wife. You're also you're you're also not supposed to uh, just run off. You, mm-hmm. You're supposed to you know uh, say your goodbyes and yeah yeah. And if be, you have the means, gift, if you have the means, yeah, you give chose a gift. his own gift and stole it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. I um, I guess I didn't think of the the first four as about that, but it's certainly that is the major overriding theme. I guess the other one uh, is disguise, right? Why why does uh, Athena come disguised to Telemachus? Um, hmm. He he knows that it's her. It's at, at least after a certain point, period, right? Yeah, I think it is. Well, a certain period. Do you? Well, in the in uh, was it in book three or four mm-hmm. where she actually showed Menelaus who she was, and uh, everybody knew. Did do you think Telemachus? Telemachus was surprised by that too, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know that he did know. Um, well, he said he knew, and he knew it was uh, the great goddess Athena, but mm-hmm. then in the next chapter, he sort of doesn't know again. Yeah, right? but it's, you know, she showed up as a different person, too. Uh, well, I think she showed up as three said, three different people in this one, doesn't she? And one's called Mentor, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, Mentor. Mentor is the one that she revealed herself to Menelaus and everybody, so that Menelaus would know that uh, Telemachus had her protection. Yeah. Right? But in the first one, I forget the name of the person she shows up as. So so Telemachus... Um, so Od- Telemachus is Odysseus's son. Right. And Odysseus is missing. We have no idea where he's at. Well, we, we know where he's at because Zeus tells us that he's alive at the beginning. He's stuck in Calypso's cave. <clears throat> right, right. So we know he's alive, but Telemachus doesn't. And Telemachus is hanging out there um, just getting overrun by suitors. Um, he's a suitor. I can't stop thinking home. about that. And, uh, oh, brother, where art thou? He's a suitor. Anyways, so his house is full of suitors, like a hundred of them. And they're all after his mom. And 
he's sitting there feeling sorry for himself. And then um, Athena shows up disguised as another, as a man. And he welcomes him in and says, hey, come on in, you know, giving him the the whole treatment. And, uh, you know, he feeds him and uh, makes sure he's comfortable. And you're supposed to do that before you ever ask a question like, you know, who are you? You're not supposed to ask that till the, the guest is comfortable. So the guest comes in there, you know, he sits down and then they start to talk. And uh, Telemachus kind of bears his soul and he says, this, you know, really stinks, guy. <laughs> Look at all these people. They're eating all my stuff. And uh, I forget the words that are used. They're wasting away my substance or something like that. Mm. And uh, then um, this guy says, well, I tell you what you're going to do. And then uh, outlines his way out, which involves... You know... Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. You know that men, the word mentor comes from this character? Yeah, but that the, at this point, it's not mentor. Mentor is the I, I one... Believe they're the same, I believe they're the same person, mentees and mentor. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm, it doesn't make sense in part of the context, right? Uh-huh. Um, because it, mentee says, I'm going away, right? Right. Um, goes down to his ships. And then in the next chapter, uh, he's hanging out with mentor. Yeah, so I don't, I don't think they're meant to be the same person because that's the only uh, way yeah, that makes I, sense to me. That I um, agree, I agree. Yeah. They're not uh, probably not meant to be, but mm-hmm. um, in the same, uh, uh, she fulfills the same role in both. Uh, I guess uh, the first three chapters, mm-hmm. she's uh, filling yeah, she the same role, yeah. was encouraging him and and showing him the way. Yeah, yeah, telling him, sort of steering him. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, well, one more thing um, sure. that that struck me is all these suitors. They appear to be orphaned men. Their their dads went off to war years ago and never came back. So these are all guys who grew up without dads, <laughs> aren't uh, they? I, that's true. Uh, like Telemachus, yeah, yeah, like Tele- Telemachus, right? So he's uh, anyway. They're they're uh, acting like folks that need some discipline. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but that's interesting. I mean, don't there was one discussion where I forget the the fellow's name, but um, Telemachus is like, "You guys need to get out of my house." He finally, you know, calls them all together and says, "You know, you guys need to go." And then this guy gives a speech about how he's not going. Yeah, yeah, and that that guy. I mean, that speech again. It's uh, he's violating all kinds of rules. Saying you know I don't really care what you say I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, he's he's. It's a contract. It's an unspoken contract, right? The mm-hmm. the the guest comes, but the guest also leaves. Right. Yes. Right? Exactly. Uh, you, you you are welcoming, and in in welcoming, you assume that the guest will fulfill his or her guestly duties, which is to be gracious and. Um, also to offer news, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the uh, there's no newspapers at this time. If you want to know what's going on in another town or another city, or you know whether war is brewing or what's going on, you embrace the stranger. And this is xena, xenophilia, right? Right. Where right. you take the the stranger out on the street and you say, "Hey, you! You want to come in for a meal? Let's let's hear what's going on over in that <laughs> other town," because that's the only way to get the news to know what's going on. Right, yeah. And, yep, of course, these guys are all, the, these. as far as I'm aware, they're all from Ithaca, which means 
they have no news. Right? <laughs> they offer yeah. nothing except their their ability to eat him out of house and home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So she, uh, you know, during this conversation, you know, she tells him, "Hey, you're gonna need to get these guys together. You need to tell them to get out." And then you're going to go look for your dad. You're going to look for news of your dad is actually what she says, right? You're not going to go look for your dad. You're going to go find out if he's dead or alive. Yeah. And, um, and he says, okay, well, I'm not doing anything else. So, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he, she's uh, giving him a, a hand, I guess. You know, he's, uh, he's kind of hanging out, feeling helpless. And then she shows up and says, hey, this is what you got to do. And he's like, "All right, I'm doing that." And then uh, it kind of changes. You know, um, I, I read this a couple of times in anticipation of uh, of our discussion, mm-hmm. and uh, the thing that struck me uh, on the second reading is the the parallelisms in in each book, and also the um, the not the plot so much as the way it's told. So the mm. you know the wine dark sea. Mm-hmm. This is the the great line that comes up, and um, the bright-eyed Athena, right? And yeah, yeah. The every, I mean, this is this is how the um, the the uh, Homer and the the people who know these epics would do the story is they are telling the story based on these little turns of phrase that allow them to remember what happens next. It's kind of oh, like an um or an awe. Oh, that's interesting. Because right? one one thing that I noticed that was recurring was. Once they had, um, uh, I wish I had it underlined somewhere, but they said it at least three times. It was like once they were full and didn't need to eat anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there, that was in, in the version I have, it was exactly the same sentence at yeah. least three or four times throughout. Once they were full of uh, food and drink, then, you know, it was something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh- it's uh, but it's it's not just the turns of phrase. It's also the message. So mm-hmm. uh, I love this message because I only spotted it the, the I guess the second time through. Um, that is, uh, Athena gives advice to Telemachus. You should go uh, and see Nestor, and mm-hmm. Nestor's going to tell you. Uh, he, maybe he will have some news, um, and he says, and Nestor won't lie to you because he's far too wise. <laughs> 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 and then uh, he goes. He so he goes to see Nestor, right? Mm-hmm. And Nestor says, "Oh, well, I'm I'm afraid I don't have much news for you. I was the first to return home, uh, but you should go see uh, Menelaus because he uh, he was one of the last to return home, and he uh, he lives you know over there. And I'll give you some chariots, and you mm-hmm. go over there. And he won't lie to you because he is far too wise." <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Interesting, yeah. So I hadn't caught that one. What's the what's the what's the message here, right? Yeah, that the wise don't lie. Mm-hmm. Um, now yep. I actually think that that's true. Um, <laughs> if yep. you're writing an essay, uh, don't make up uh, the facts. Right? It's just <laughs> a bad idea when you're when you're telling a, a story of something that happened. Uh, don't make up the facts because they won't be as good. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, yep. Tell the truth because it's just it's <laughs> a, a much wiser thing to do. You don't get yourself into trouble. I, I guess um, this is not something that Basil Fawlty would do, uh, <laughs> but he doesn't strike me as a very wise man. That's right. 
Basil Fawlty is the opposite of Xenia. He 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 needs um, uh, Athena to come and give him some <laughs> advice. The, but bright, I, I, the bright-eyed goddess Athena. That's absolutely yeah. Probably in the form of Manuel, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot! Yeah, she did need to show up as his equal. So I'm not sure who his equal is. Another hotel manager. Yeah, that, that yeah. sounds about right. Oh. <laughs> Uh, although uh, th- that th- that's interesting. Also, uh, I don't know how how far we can take this, but if mm-hmm. you think of the way Basil Fawlty's mind works, mm-hmm. it's everyone is either beneath him and therefore worthy of contempt, or they are above him and worthy of uh, reverence, whether whether or not it's deserved. Yeah, socially. True. Right? Yeah. So when the when the Lord and Lady somebody come for tea, he. he Dumps everybody who is <laughs> yeah. sent a uh, lord and lady somebody. That's right. And, that's right. Yeah. So yep. uh, maybe maybe it is a, a lesson to be learned there. <laughs> but it, uh, this is not a comedy, although I find uh, there are a few things uh, humorous in it. Hmm. Um, like the the repeated lines and such. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's it's uh. It's good so far. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I really, it I'm really enjoying it. I was, you know, when you start to read something like this, you, you know, you take a deep breath and you're like, okay, this is going to be tedious. But it wasn't. And that, I think that's what I was trying to say at the beginning. It was not at all. So, some it, beautiful it, lines in there, too. You have to you have to gear down because it, it's, I mean, the speeches, right? Somebody's when when Athena walks in the door uh, of Telemachus's house, right? He asks her about fifteen questions and gives a speech, and then she speaks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's her turn to talk for a while, and then back the other way, right? So the dialogue is not uh, Elmore Leonard sparkling uh, <laughs> uh, back and forth repartee. It's it's uh, more soliloquied mm-hmm. in a way, um, yeah. but. Once you gear down to it, and, you, you, and I found myself uh, referring to the the printed page, not just listening to the audiobook version uh-huh. as well, because um, that really helped me um, get used to the pattern. There is a sort of a pattern of reading, and and it's it's dense. Uh, there's a lot of people. I mean, there's a cast of maybe a hundred people mentioned in the first four books. Right? Yeah, yeah, and most of them are not super relevant but uh i th- i th- maybe we discussed it on a previous podcast when we talked about Undymion or um something like that uh no not on und- hyperion oh mm-hmm. um in hyperion uh, there there's that which is also based on uh other text right mm-hmm. um there's this feeling that uh there's a a bigger world out there and in in this one, there really is a bigger world. Most most of those characters are mythological, but one of the purposes I think of this giant story, the twenty four books of the Odyssey, is that it could be told in any town. So you you're a bard, you go from town to town as a guest, right? Mm-hmm. And you sit at table. Uh, partaking of their uh, hospitality and your job since you're since you're going from town to town is to give news or entertainment and they would tell this story but to make it more interesting you mention 
their relatives, people they knew, their ancestors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this, we get uh, mentions of hundreds of people, different sons and daughters. Those little references are those connections to to make what are essentially many many kingdoms, uh, sort of a uh, a whole, right? Yeah. So that he can pass the the bard can pass. Uh, into the city or the island of any of these places and tell his story and have that story be accepted as a uh, a fitting tale, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. If you go, if you read uh, the Iliad, um, there's hundreds of warriors, right? There's there's so many warriors that some of them have the same name, right? Ajax. Uh, yeah, the you less- can imagine him uh, reading the list and everybody going, hooray! <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? And, say, and notice they all have amazing skills, right? Mm-hmm. So in this one, I think there was one character mentioned, oh, the son of Nestor, I think it was, who was killed. He was the fastest runner, right? Now, Achilles is the greatest warrior, but Ajax was mighty, and... Uh, all of the different characters, they have a a skill that is maximal, right? Mm-hmm. The wise Patroclus, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, giving good counsel. So um, I think that that's something we're going to look forward to also in this story is why I think Odysseus is such a great character is because he his patron goddess is Athena, right? The mm-hmm. goddess of wisdom. And the Greeks overall value the 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 quality of wisdom, but wisdom in its many kinds, right? There's wisdom of of being um, truthful, but there's also wisdom of being deceptive, yeah. right? So that's that's the connection between uh, this and and the Iliad, right? The Odyssey is the story of uh, Odysseus's return home, but his return home is caused. Because he was a tricky bastard, right? Mm. In the, not in the Iliad, but in the after, in the missing epic, right? He builds the, suggests and builds the Trojan horse, gets inside the city, and I think we have a little mention of of him, uh, yeah, in book four. Yeah, Helen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and talks it, of right. her being a host, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a good host doesn't inform. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, she she's a she's a an interesting character. And I think yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that next, but yeah, she she mentions something about, um, well, she tells a story, and then her her husband says, yeah, but I was in the horse, <laughs> and you kept using your voice to uh, imitate people's wives, trying yeah. to get us to come out, right? And uh, <laughs> you know he's chuckling as if you know how funny that was. I mean, that's the impression I got when I was reading it, but it was like, you know, I'm not sure what to make of Helen in this. Is she, did she want to go to Troy or did she not want to go to Troy? And it seems, it, even in this, it, I'm not sure. It's ambiguous. Yeah, I th- it's very ambiguous. And I think part of, part of our problem is we don't know as a modern audience what to make of her. Mm-hmm. As much as I'm sure the Greeks would have a much clearer <laughs> image of what's going on, um, but uh, I think uh, I, we should read her as um, as a deceptive person. Mm-hmm. Um, think she actually doses them when 
she's in the house. Yeah, everybody's um, mourning. You know, they're like, "Oh, my dad," and this right, guy's, "Oh, and my son," and all that. So this is not good for me. Yeah, <laughs> this they're is all not good for they're me. They're all crying and, and mourning, and then that she more, right? and then she the, gives him a drug. That's she right. Drugs the face up. that launched a thousand ships. She she yeah. she gives them uh, an like a ecstasy or something, right? Uh-huh. Because it it brings their mood level up, and everybody's friendly and and happy again. Right. And, and she then she tells her. Then she tells her story under those conditions, right? And that's when that's probably why her uh, her husband was like, "Yeah, but you did this, ha ha ha." Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, you know, you um, tried to kill us. Remember that time you tried to kill us? Wasn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah, and, and all all these all those. I mean, if if you think Telemachus uh, has got all these problems, they all stem back to. Her tryst with Paris, right? They, yeah, yeah. They go all the way back to that. So if there is somebody who is responsible on the Earth, other than Paris, it is her. Mm-hmm. But the yep. status of women in in this is also fairly low. Uh, at one point in the in the first book, I think uh, Telemachus says to his mom, uh, "I'm boss here. You go upstairs." Uh, and she goes upstairs and she says, oh, he's right. And and then she has a good cry. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yet there's Athena. Yeah, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, the rule, notice though, Athena comes as a man, right? She does, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I always well, pick two, up, two I times she Well, two times she comes as a man and then at the very end of the fourth book, she comes as a woman to uh, Telemachus's mom. Spoiler? No. Just <laughs> you said it. No, <laughs> no I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, you can't spoil it, right? Because right. you know the story. Yeah. You know, you know everything that's going on, and it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the journey that's important. I think that mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the cool things is this is a novel. It's got a character. It's got a character art arc, and one of the um, one of the things that inspired me to want to read this uh, with you is listening to. Uh, entitled an entitled opinions episode in which he talked about Homer, Homer and Homeric epics with a uh, um, a Greek scholar, oh, and cool. uh, they were talking about his character. But also, this is really interesting. In all of literature, there are very few stories of of marriages, and this is a story of a marriage. If you think. Of all the stories that you can think of, you know, Hamlet and I don't know, uh, you know, around the world in 80 days, none of them are about marriage. And yet Mm -hmm. marriage is a very central uh, feature in everyone's lives. Yeah. None of them are about marriage except for this story, which is about uh, a man who is tempted many times to stay with other women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He's been far away from home. His wife, who, who normally you would think would give up on the marriage after uh, he's gone for nearly twenty years. At the end of the story, right? Mm-hmm. He's been gone in the. He's been in Troy for ten years fighting that war, and when he gets back, it's I believe it's close to twenty years. Gone for twenty years. His son raised up alone, right? And. And when he returns there, he he fights to to not just get his his 
the house back, but also to get his wife back. And that's what motivates him. And, and in the start of book five, he's still saying, you know, yeah, you're a goddess and you're much more beautiful than my wife. And you're offering me immortality, but I, I'm, I'm still in love with Helen and I must return home to my wife. Hmm. And I think that that's just an unusual take on it because the way I was reading this story is it's just a series of adventures that this guy goes through. Yeah. And isn't that fun? Aren't these cool adventures? And all these gods, you know, jumping in and some of them are angry and some of them are, some of them are helpful. Mm-hmm. Minor gods and greater gods and all that. Yeah. But I thought that was a really keen insight that I, I hadn't Yeah, I hadn't that is of. interesting. Now, is it true that this took on um, kind of a religious flavor? Hmm. I mean, people were really worshiping these gods, correct? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't know if they, you know, had anything that could be seen as a church service. I know they had temples, you know, and they oh, go make sacrifices to the temples and things. It's uh, um, right at the beginning of book, book, um, book three. Let me read this to you here. Okay. Uh, Leaving the waters of the splendid East, the sun leapt up into the firmament to bring light to the immortals and to the men who plow the earth and perish. The travelers now came to Pylos, the stately citadel of Neleus, where they found the people of the sea beach sacrificing jet black bulls to Poseidon, lord of the earthquake, god of the sable ox. There were nine companies in session, with five hundred men in each, and every company had nine bulls to offer. They had just tasted the victim's entrails and were burning the pieces of the thighs in God's honor as a trim ship came bearing down upon them. The crew brailed up the sail, moored the vessel, and disembarked. Athena followed. Telemachus was the last to leave the ship. Hmm. That's their church. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, in, in cities, you, you would get like, like the Roman, the Romans basically kept up the exact same thing, but sacrifices, that's, that's the thing. Is you want something, you've got to give something, and you've got to pay homage. Uh-huh. In a, that's their church service right there. And this is, uh, people have said that, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey are the, the holy books of the ancient Greeks. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and there, there are some things like, this is one that I highlighted that I really liked. It says, at the very beginning, it's Zeus. And he says, ah, how shameless the way these mortals blame the gods. From us alone, they say, come all their miseries. Yes, but they themselves, with their own reckless ways, compound their plans beyond their proper share. And uh, I highlighted that because... You know, your my impression of the Greeks was always, you know, there's a God for everything, and we're going to pray to this God, and if my life is going bad, it must be because this God is mad at me. And there is some of that in this story. But yet, here Zeus says, hey, you know, you guys are responsible for your own lives. Well, I, I think it's, it's interesting, because, you know, uh, getting back to the apology, uh, one of the things that Socrates was convicted of was um, preaching that there were no gods, right? Mm -hmm. Now, um, Socrates didn't agree with that. He said that uh, I do believe in the gods and I do honor the gods, but people didn't seem to appreciate at least the people of the jury didn't appreciate that. Um, They convicted him Mm -hmm. and 
he he took his punishment. But um, it's I think this is the one of the cool things is that you that you see in this book in this ser- series of books is that the appreciation for the gods is um, you have to assume that that stranger who came to your house and offered wise words of wisdom was themselves a god in disguise, right? And we see this in the way people talk about miracles, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Today, said so it was a miracle. This this happened just when I was right. Um, they see that as an intervention from on high. Whereas I would say, looking at you know, <laughs> if we were reading this as a as a, uh, a st- historical text, that we Telemachus was just wrong. That that guy was actually Mentes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mentes knew his old father and offered good advice. But the way it's told, we see it from both point of views. And so, why do the gods disguise themselves? Why, why don't they just openly show up and say, hey, you go over and do that? Well, Athena did, though, in this, in this one. Well, she, a little bit. Yeah, a little when, bit. when uh, Menelaus needed convincing... Um, she she seemed to have done that for Telemachus to but notice. It's revelatory, right? It yeah, isn't. it's it's revelatory. She yeah she she revealed herself so that Telemachus would be told what he needs to be told. Right, right. But but she, you know it's revelatory also for Telemachus, right? So he it revealed is, yeah. after a certain point. Oh, that's that's uh, goddess Athena. But if you think of what goddess Athena is, she's the goddess of wisdom, right? I've just had an insight. That's how we would say it. Oh, I've been graced by the goddess of Athena. I've just learned an insight, and now I know what to do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's quite a different story. But if, if we look at people of this period and say that they are just like us, except they have a different culture, what I would say is going on and in the relationship that people have to their gods is that they are aspects of the world and themselves that they are giving name to. In the same way, it's difficult for us to understand the host, um, host, uh, hostee, I guess, uh, guest relationship. It's also difficult for us to understand that there's a more complex. It's not. It's, you can't read this only fundamentally because even you know, even if the people of Athens, the patron. Uh, city of uh, Athena believe that Socrates is dishonoring the gods by saying that they don't exist. He is saying that wisdom exists, but um, we should believe uh, maybe a lot less than we do. The the people seem very gullible, right? Imagine Mm -hmm. you came up to somebody's house and you act all regal. <laughs> you give good, good sounding advice. They're going to say, "Oh my God, it was a god in disguise!" Right? I don't know that very, that would happen. <laughs> uh, no. Well, uh, uh-huh. you're talking you about have, in this time here. Sure. Yep. If you got in a time machine and you showed up at somebody's house, mm-hmm. um, you're you know you've done your studying and you know what's going to happen uh, next week. Oh, sure. Um, yep. Right? You would be a god in disguise. Well, that would happen today if. Uh, if someone came up from the future and they knew what was going to happen, and, you know, I mean, people are enamored right now with uh, things that don't come to pass. You know, that, you know, there, there are yeah, plenty of people who believe in all kinds of prophets that aren't really prophets. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's really interesting, and I I think um, we're gonna we're gonna have some more fun as we get through this. Yeah, without question. Yeah, I'm looking I, forward to it all. I've got one uh, little thing from the introduction that I penciled in here. Okay. Um, it's a basically it's a summary of the the series, uh, not the series, the 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 book, oh, the entire book, hmm. all the. Mm-hmm. Um, it says this is from uh, the uh, editor's introduction um, to uh, by E. V. Ryu, nineteen forty-six. It says, um, "Meanwhile, to return to book one, after this, after suggesting that Hermes, the envoy of the gods, should be dispatched to release Odysseus, the goddess Athena, Odysseus's champion and protector, visits." his palace in Ithaca to stir his young son, Telemachus, to take active steps towards the discovery of his long-lost father, or, failing this, to bring to an end the intolerable situation that has arisen during his long absence. For we find that his faithful wife, Penelope, is besieged in her own house by a host of amorous and ambitious princelings from Ithaca itself and neighboring isles, each eager to wed the still attractive queen and even more eager to step into King Odysseus's shoes. It is the doom of these suitors that is slowly but surely worked up to in the magnificent climax of Book 24. <laughs> Sorry, Book 22. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, at the, at the end of Book 4, they... Uh... They launch to go, I mean, they've talked themselves into not only, it's not enough for us to just be at this house, but now we've got to go follow this guy and, and uh, take our revenge for whatever they need revenge for. And uh, uh, to me, when I was reading it originally, <clears throat> I thought it was over when he got home. Uh-huh. But there is this this extra, right? The mm-hmm. extra of him coming in disguise coming to his own home in disguise, um, stringing his great bow, the, gra- the bow that only he can string, right? Mm-hmm. And taking his revenge upon the suitors um, <laughs> who have, you know, eaten him out of house and home. Right. Uh, I think this is uh, one of the greatest books ever. That's so why cool. it's still around and still talked about. Yep. So far, so good. Mm-hmm. All right, so next time we're going to talk about the next three? Or uh, next what, four. What did you, next Books four, three okay. to four, or, uh, sorry, books <clears throat> three to six. Oh, wait, three, five. four, five, six. Yeah. No, we've done four, so oh, we're going to so do sorry. five, six, five, seven, eight. Five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Sound good? Sounds excellent. Excellent. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.